0: really has nothing to do with where you are. So clearly it's the latter, and I think it's that God calls us to a life of faithfulness and obedience wherever we're found, wherever we find ourselves. And so this, if you kind of take that as our overarching um, idea, this is, at this point, is where this intriguing narrative of a guy named Jonah starts to play into uh, play into this. And he invites us on this journey to discover the implications of what it means to serve God's purposes regardless of your personal preferences or your cultural bias, okay? So we're gonna look at uh, one, the, really it's the first chapter and the first verse of the second chapter in the book of Jonah, okay? So if you are, wanna follow along in your Bibles, it's Jonah 1-1, otherwise we will have it up on the screen for you. <laughs> See, Jonah's a book that sort of contrasts God's central mission of redeeming a lost world with humanity's ongoing mission of self-preservation and self-serving. <laughs> so sort of just puts those two right up there in, in front for us, for us to look at. And so Jonah kind of exemplifies the, uh, the relationship between these two things. All right? Now... This was kind of interesting, and some of you may know this, and others may have just missed this entirely, but did you know that Jonah became a national hero in Israel with the very first mission that God gave him to accomplish? And it's easy to miss, because it's in just one verse, and he's mentioned one time. It's 2 Kings 14.25. And if you go to that verse, you don't have to right now, But what it will say is that it shows how it was Jonah that encouraged King Jeroboam to extend his territories. This was a word from the Lord that came to Jonah. He goes to the king, he tells him this, and the king successfully carries out this message from God that Jonah delivered to him. And so Israel grew. So the book of Jonah kind of presumes that you know that story because that makes it a whole lot more interesting and relevant when you do, okay? Because the book of Jonah is essentially written in direct contrast to portray Jonah differently than the way you see him in 2 Kings. So what do we have this time? Well, God's message is a little different. He sort of expanded Jonah's horizons. He's saying you've got to do a little bit more than just go and report to the king. In this word of the Lord, he he calls Jonah to this truly God-sized task. He sends him to the capital city of the most cruel enemy on the face of the earth at that time. Jonah, however, not so sure about this. Jonah's responses could probably be summed up as something like this. Lord, you know I love you. But you know, even faith has limits so I'm gonna go anywhere at all that you send me, just not to Nineveh. Or it could be, you know, Lord, it's really dangerous in Nineveh, and I think there are a lot of people here at home that need ministry. Or, Lord, you know, Nineveh doesn't deserve to hear your word. They're just really bad people, and I don't think we should talk to them. Or, Lord, you know, just go ahead and wipe them out. You don't have to send me to do that. You can just take care of that on your own. Or it could be, Lord, you know, it's vacation time for me right now. Um, Why don't you call me in a couple of weeks when I'm back and you have maybe something a little better for me to do. (laughs) So Jonah leaves one or all of these messages on God's voicemail and runs. Okay, emotions took over, and for some reason, he thinks that he can find refuge somewhere where God isn't. So he's called to go east to preach. Well, What does he do? He goes west to Tarshish. This national hero who's renowned for delivering this victorious word of God to the king, which results in the expansion of Israel's territory, all of a sudden becomes the fleeing prophet, fearful of the consequences of God's message if he were to go to Nineveh. So that sort of sums up where we are at this point. So let's go on to verse four. what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. <laughs> when I read this, that phrase, you sleeper, it always makes me think of the Frenchman in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know, who's insulting, you know, you empty-headed animal food trough wiper. <laughs> okay, that was probably unnecessary. So so what do you do when God threatens you? Well, the ship gave up (laughs) and started to shatter into pieces. And each of the sailors are crying out to whatever God they believe in, uh, and they are so afraid that they start hurling the cargo that is why they're on this journey in the first place, in order to make money. They're hurling this off the boat in order to lighten it, to, to keep it from breaking up. So where is Jonah during all this excitement? Well, our esteemed prophet has gone down below to the inaccessible, innermost part of the ship. You know, after the emotional and the physical exertion in refusing God's call and running away from God's presence, he was tired. It's exhausting to fight God, right? So, but the thing is, it doesn't even take God to find Jonah. Ship's captain knew his ship, and he knew who was on it, right? He knew the passenger list. So he finds this missing passenger hiding away, fast asleep down below, and he's like, what's up with you, Mr. Sound Sleeper? Get up and pray to your God. See, the captain woke the prophet up and said, it's time for a prayer meeting, fella. (laughs) He wanted every base covered, every God that... Anybody on that ship could believed in, he wanted them to be implored, hoping that one of them would pay attention and save them from this disaster that they were in the midst of. All right, verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this thing that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So what do the sailors do at this point? Well, they cast lots. Well, that, that actually is a very ancient way of finding out the will of the gods, or actually of God, because we have examples of them casting lots in Scripture to kind of learn to discover what it is that God wants to do. And in this case, they're trying to find out, okay, who's guilty here? Whose fault is this? It's got to be somebody's fault. So, interestingly enough, God gives the revelation not to Jonah, but to the sailors. lot falls on Jonah. And so now they know that he's the one who's responsible for all this this mess that they're in. And so, you know, for a while, Jonah just kind of remains quiet. They're peppering, peppering him with questions, right? Who's responsible? What do you do? Where do you come from? All these questions flying at him because Lot has clearly said, it's your fault, buddy, so we need to find out a little bit more about you. So finally, the prophet speaks up and he identifies himself as a Hebrew. But he gave one more description of himself to these sailors. He said, and and literally he proclaimed this, I myself am fearing Yahweh, the God of the heavens who made the sea and dry land. So what is the sailors' reaction to this? Well, (laughs) we already know they were basically scared out of their wits, but now they got more afraid, they're even more afraid it literally what it says in the text is the men feared a great fear and so their terror was heightened by this admission that somewhere along the way that he had mentioned to them that he's fleeing from this god and so now they figured out well okay well now we understand why we're in the why we're in the trouble that we're in He must have done something that is causing him to run away from God. So something, they're thinking, okay, you did something. Um, So Jonah, to his credit, steps up and says, okay, you know, it is me, it's my fault, sorry. (laughs) Um, You you can just pick me up and throw me into the ocean, that's okay. And you know, the sailors, that's gotta be a pretty logical idea at this point, right? You know, the sea god is attacking him, so we've got this man who's willing to sacrifice himself to the sea god, so the sea will be quiet, all right? So, now let's move to verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, Now what I kind of find interesting about this is presented with the option to throw Jonah into the ocean immediately, they don't do it. They're, they have enough human goodness, I guess, that you know, they're willing to try something else before they actually throw him overboard. And so they're, they're trying to row this boat to get it somewhere out of, out of the midst of all of this uh, Uh, the storm that's going on. So they figure, okay, well let's try something drastic first. But it didn't work. So the only hope they have at this point is to sort of summon God and now they're turning to Jonah's God, not their own. That's who they're praying to. And so without any other choice and really out of desperation, They accepted the fact that Jonah was indeed guilty and they had to deal with it. So they offered a prayer that might sound kind of self-centered if it was in a different context, but God really had shown that there was nothing that they could do to save themselves and to save Jonah. Right. So everything else they tried fails, and so they did the only thing left for them to do, they threw him overboard. course, immediately everything is calm. Well, God's in pursuit of our fleeing prophet. And so the sea and all of its depths was not about to stop God from getting Jonah to do what it was he was going to do. So he's swallowed by this big fish and he's inside this fish for three days and three nights. Now, how is this possible? Well, the author doesn't tell us. I don't know, it's a mystery. Um, So, that ends chapter one, and then the one verse we're gonna look at in chapter two is this one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Jonah is just full of surprises, isn't he? (laughs) All through chapter one, no matter, all this other stuff is happening, he never prays. Now, all of a sudden, he finds himself inside a fish, a whale, whatever. I keep thinking of that scene from Jaws, you know. Or the, um, so he's inside of a fish. Now he decides to pray. So now, in the middle of this fish, he's having, you know, this unexpected time of prayer where he's, and if you re- kind of read on, he's he's thanking God for God's salvation, for saving him, despite how he did it. And so all of a sudden Jonah's not fleeing anymore. He seeks God's presence in prayer and he claims God once more as his Lord. And so the fish essentially converts Jonah from this rebellious prophet into a prophet of prayer and thanksgiving. All right, so that's our, that's our text for today. So if you sort of take that initial idea that I, I started with uh, about what Dr. Spurgeon said, that a Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, and you combine that with this passage from Jonah, what I think you get is this idea that you're called to live your life as a missionary regardless of where you live. As I said, location, geography has nothing to do with it. And so, what is it that's in, that's in this story that we've just looked at that sort of helps us to understand how to do that? Okay, how, how do we respond to, to God's missionary calling? Well, I think there are several things. Number one, Jonah really missed the boat. Don't be like Jonah, okay? Now, it might be more accurate to say that Jonah missed the boat twice, once figuratively and then once literally. Okay? So how did Jonah figuratively miss the boat? Well, first of all, he disobeyed God right out, of the, right out of the chute. God speaks directly to him and tells him what to do. And so what does he do? He immediately flees. Somehow he gets the idea that he can either hide or outrun God. It's it's really easy, I think, for us to read this and to just Jonah, you are such an idiot. We could get really critical of Jonah, you know, because of what he did. But don't we all have more in common with Jonah than what we are willing to admit? God's method of communication may not always be as crystal clear to us as it was to Jonah. But I think more often than not, we still have a pretty good idea what he's asking us to do. For example, the name of a person that we haven't been thinking about for some time, suddenly pops into our head, and we know that we're either supposed to go see them or maybe call them and find out how they're doing. But we don't. Or we notice somebody at the grocery store and we get this nudge that we really ought to stop and we ask them, you know, could I pray for you? But we don't. Or we're talking with a friend who isn't a Christian and they give us the perfect opening to talk about Jesus and invite them to church. But we don't. And then there's this second way that Jonah figuratively misses the boat. He doesn't pray. He doesn't pray. Here he is, mighty prophet of God, and the first thing he does upon hearing God's command is to get out of dodge. There isn't, he doesn't utter a single word of prayer that would help guide his decision-making process in this. (laughs) But once again, don't we do the same thing? Aren't we all guilty of this kind of ready-fire-aim mentality? Where aim represents asking God for his thoughts on something before we pull the trigger? <coughs> See, instead of, God, is this something I should be involved in? More often than not, it's, God, please bless my involvement in this. So Jonah missed the boat not by, by not praying and not obeying. And then I suspect that once he was in the fish, he really missed the boat. So the lesson here is don't be like Jonah. Pray and obey. All right. Number two, not every open door is opened by God. I want us to understand that just because Jonah found this ship going to Tarshish doesn't mean that it was God who provided this alternative to obeying Him. See, there's a lot of diversions that we're going to encounter along the road to fulfilling uh, our ministry purpose, our purpose in life. And we always have to remain both prayerful and attentive in order to discern what it is, what's from God and what's not from God. What might be trying to distract us or cause us to, to, to be knocked off course. I can give you an example uh, from my own self. I believe that my pursuing a doctoral degree shifted my focus away from fully serving this church. And at least to some degree is the reason that we haven't experienced all the growth that we probably should have. Now, was it wrong to go and get an advanced degree? No. Was it God who told me to go do it? Not really. See, if I'm honest, getting that degree was more about my ego and proving to myself and to others that I was smart enough to do it. So, I've been honest with myself, now I've been honest with you, so it's your turn. What is it that is keeping you from fulfilling your ministry purpose? Do you have hard feelings against someone in the church? And you're using that as a justification to avoid serving in some capacity. Are you engaging in a ministry whose season has come and gone, but you're still trying to make it work despite the fact that God isn't in it anymore? Are you in a particular ministry out of a desire for recognition and approval, not because God called you to it? Do you think some ministry jobs are not worthy of your time and talents? And I will tell you, if that's the one that, that flips the switch, that's Satan talking to you as sure as I'm standing here. Would it surprise you to learn that a few weeks ago, your senior pastor, the esteemed Reverend Dr. Fain, climbed into the dumpster here at church and was jumping up and down in it, trying to mash down the boxes that our new folding chairs came in. I have a witness. And this is true. While I was in the dumpster, I turned to John and I said, who says ministry's not glamorous? <laughs> See, it's time for all of us to take an open and honest look at what we are doing or maybe what we aren't doing. To serve God. And then go to him and find out if we are where he wants us to be and if we are doing what he wants us to do. Evaluate the open ministry doors in front of you and make sure it's a door that God has opened for you to walk through. Next, sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. (laughs) We're never really told why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. I mean, he obviously had his reasons. and I would say that probably based on his reaction, fear was, if not at the top of the list, was pretty close to it, because he didn't waste any time in running the other direction. Uh, and that doesn't really seem so much like a, you know, like a moral or ethical problem, as much as it is, I'm just scared and I'm not going. Um, but, as we say, hindsight's 2020. so I have to wonder that if you look back at this whole incident, you know, of everything that happened you think he realized that it would have been a whole lot easier if he'd just gone straight to Nineveh rather than enduring this much less straight and considerably more disgusting route that he ultimately took to get there? I mean, he was thrown up on the beach, for goodness sake. God is going to accomplish his purposes one way or the other, right? You can either say yes right away, or God is going to deliver you from your disobedience and it probably won't be easy and it most certainly won't be what you think it's going to be. It's like I said, sometimes the cure is worse (laughs) than the disease. I have a a very good friend named Jay Carey and he's the senior pastor at Bethiah United Methodist Church down in Chesterfield. And he's been a friend of mine for about 25 years. We met Jay... Shortly after we moved here, uh, he had a daughter that's about the same age as Jarrett, so we kind of got to know each other at the church we were attending. And uh, God started calling Jay into the ministry sometime in the probably about the mid-90s, early to mid-90s, and Jay kept saying no. i didn't want to do it. Well, over a several-year period, Jay lost every job that he found. It was, he'd get hired and then a couple of months later he'd suddenly get laid off. And then he'd get hired and all of a sudden the company that hired him would go out of business. And then he'd get hired and then he would get fired for some reason. And all of this is going on while he has a new house and a new family that he's trying to support. He was basically, I think basically, the sole support that they had. Well, once he finally said yes, took him a while, kind of like Jonah, he got his degree from Duke Divinity and he's had a hugely successful 20 year tenure as a pastor of that church. So I bring that up only to say that it's likely to work out better for everybody if you would just say yes the first time instead of waiting for God to cure your stubbornness however he chooses to do that and then finally prayer fuels mission accomplishment prayer fuels mission accomplishment does it surprise you as much as it surprises me that you know our professional prophet here Jonah doesn't even think to pray until he's literally swimming in fish guts But see, at the same time, this is what I think makes the Bible so wonderful. All the heroes are far from perfect, save one. They don't set some standard of behavior for us that's impossible for us to a- attain. If anything, sometimes we even look good compared to the way some of them are. Which to me is one of those things that kind of proves its authenticity. Right? If someone just wanted to write this book in such a way to make God look good, do you think he would put such flawed people in it that constantly screwed up, that constantly disobeyed him? I don't think he would. I just don't think that's the way it would work, which to me speaks to the fact that what we see in Scripture is, is true, is really what happened. And so in thinking about that, we have to kind of confront the idea that how often is it for us that prayer is our last resort instead of our first response? We've tried everything else. Maybe we should pray. <laughs> we, uh, you probably got uh, something from me announcing that you know, we're now doing these m- monthly nights of corporate prayer. And it was, it was out of a, this book that I was reading called Comeback Churches. And it was based on a study of 324 churches that were either in decline or were uh, stagnant. Okay? And so these 324 churches reversed that trend. Right? So they started to come back. And so the study was on how they did that. You know, what did they do and so forth. And as I said in this email, the number one thing that they did was to to start having a time of intentional, specific corporate prayer. Now, I mentioned that statistic to the group that was here on Wednesday, and it was a really good group. We had about 13 people that that came, and I thought that's pretty good for a first time. And I remember distinctly, I don't remember who it was, but I heard when, as soon as I said that, someone goes, Really? <laughs> Almost like, Wow, God, if we pray, then that's what really seems to make the most difference. Huh? <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> it just tickled me. It, just, it really just tickled me. And see, it kind of goes to the point that it shouldn't surprise us that the the change that made the biggest difference in turning those churches around wasn't new facilities. Now that you know all of these things that I'm going to mention make a difference. So I'm not saying that you just ignore everything else and only pray. It's just that prayer was the number one thing that they all did. Now sometimes they changed facilities, maybe moved to a better one or upgraded. You know, where they are, we're doing some of that now. It wasn't a new and different worship team, although sometimes that would make a difference. It wasn't, we've got to change the way we're organized. It was prayer. Prayer was the number one thing. And so, I just really want to encourage you. We had a very good turnout, like I said, 13 folks, but we can do better than that great would it be if we all could get here on a Wednesday night. And I understand sometimes you just can't. Work things, children things, that's okay. Believe me, I get it. I went through all of that myself. Uh, So I know it's hard. But we're going to do it again on April the 3rd. All right. So put it on your calendar now. Prayer at church, April 3rd, 6.30 p.m. And so let's all commit to do the one thing that is gonna have the greatest impact in moving us forward as a church, and that's prayer. Prayer fuels mission accomplishment. 6.30. So, faith in action time. What are some things you can do this week to really kind of put this into play? And so the first thing I would suggest is is spend a moment really defining very carefully what the Bible says, uh, what the Bible speaks of in terms of our missionary calling. What is it we're supposed to do? What synonyms does the scripture use for this task of missions? And how does it or how should it shape and define your life purpose? If you're looking for something to study, that would be an interesting study to do. Secondly, is there something, some area of your life, some area of your ministry that you need to submit to God in prayer? Is there some place where you're being led astray by the way you're thinking or simply because you're being disobedient? So to kind of finish this off today, I want to return uh, for a moment to Dr. Spurgeon's quote. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's actually a little sharper than it sounds because I looked in the dictionary to define uh, imposter and it said this, an imposter is a person who practices deception under an assumed character, character identity, or name. And so if we are to take Dr. Spurgeon's words seriously, And I certainly believe that he said this in all seriousness because he wasn't a flippant kind of person. You don't preach to 10 million people without having something to say. What he's saying is that if we're not living a missional life, then we're being deceptive. Now, I don't think any of us here are being intentionally deceptive. I don't think we would would do that. But maybe we're guilty of being unintentional imposters. So that's something to think about. But I also want you to hear this. The God that calls you to be a missionary is a God that loves you more than you can ever comprehend. And he does so even if you're not living exactly the way he would have you to live. And I don't just simply mean by whether you're being missional or not. Whether it has to do with that or whether it has to do with something else entirely. God loves you. He only wants what's best for you. And we we have to trust that He really knows that, that He knows what's best for you. And so as the saying goes, God loves you just where you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. And so turn to Him. If you have questions in this area, or you're just not sure if you're really doing what you're supposed to do, or you don't really know what to do, I think as I said last week, feel free to talk to any of us on the pastoral staff. We would love to have that conversation. Um, We've got, I think, some phone calls that should be, that are going out fairly soon. Uh, You know, in regards to spiritual gifts and what your giftings are, and maybe where to give you some um, guidance as to where you could best use those within the church. So, um, So, anyway... That's, you know, that's, I think, this kind of sums up this whole idea of being a missionary or an imposter. (laughs) All right. You guys want to come back up? I know where most everybody is, I think, in terms of your faith journey, but certainly not everybody. And so um, we want to make it a priority that we give people the opportunity to accept Jesus. If you're not, if you haven't, or if that's something that you really want to do, we want to provide that opportunity. So right now I would simply ask you to close your eyes And and I'm going to just read a prayer. It's really an invitation. And um, if this is something that you want to do, then I just encourage you to do it. If you've already done it, then maybe it's an opportunity for you to sort of reaffirm the decision that you made uh, whenever you made it. And so we pray, Oh God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed. Right now, in this moment, I am willing to turn away from that sin. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is your Son, and I believe that He died for my sins and that you raised Him to eternal life. I believe all of that. And so right now I receive Jesus as my Lord. I receive Jesus as my Savior. And from this moment on, I want to follow Him in the fellowship of the church, His church. So I ask you now that you would guide my life and help me to do your will. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Um, actually, we turned the lights off a tiny bit too soon. Doing something a little different. If you would all pull out your connection card, that should be in the seat pockets in front of you, and there should be pens there too. <coughs> we have some options. You see, we have a QR code on here. So if you want to enter this on your phone, you can do that. Um, if you also have our web um, app, then you can uh, enter them that way. But what I want you to do. Uh, is just to fill this out. Now, if you're a regular attender, we still want you to fill out a card, okay? All I need is your name. Just put your name. And then if there's anything else that you want to submit, like a prayer request or something like that, uh, you can put that on there. But on the back, you'll see we have a couple of next steps that you can take. Uh, if you have decided that you want to become a follower of Jesus, you can check that. If you want to try tithing, God says to test him in that sense and uh, see what happens. And so you can take a tithing challenge. Or there's a place where if you need some more information about some things you can check those and we'd be happy to, to send you whatever information you ask. And then finally there's a place for a prayer request. So if you have any kind of a prayer request we would, uh, would welcome that. If it's something that we need to keep private then you can just check that box and that only I will see it. Uh, but otherwise it's something that will be compiled and sent out to the church at large. Uh, so that everyone can be praying for it. So if you would just take a moment and fill that out, we're just gonna take 60 seconds and then we're gonna collect those and if you have uh, your tithes and offerings and wanna include those along with this collection, uh, you can do that then as well.